Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Welcome back to the next episode, next podcast on YouTube for Keto Naturopath. It always seems odd to say podcast on YouTube, but um, we got plenty to talk about today. And I'm going to tell you what I've been focusing on in the last, if not the last couple months, certainly the last couple of weeks. The story goes deeper and deeper. You know, I think it must have been three or four months ago that I decided to look into doing a topic around choline as a nutrient, you know, uh, choline's neither a vitamin or a mineral, so they just call it a nutrient. It's, well, actually, it's, it is technically called B, uh, B4, uh, so I guess it's sort of in the vitamin phase right now. But, so, all right, you start about choline, and the first thing you think about is acetylcholine, and you think about things like dementia, and all that's true. Right? All that neurotransmitter is true. And then if you're going to talk about acetylcholine, you go into acetylcholine for muscle, muscle contraction. It has to take place. It's the signal that jumps the gap that, that makes your muscles contract. So, all right, so that's neurotransmitter. And then you find, you know, you go a little deeper and saying, well, you know, the natural source of choline in the world in terms of whole foods, um, uh, derivatives, not derivatives, whole food sources of food for choline is phospholipid That's primarily it. And you could say, arguably, it's other phospholipids from animal foods, such as maybe sphingomyelin, maybe um, a few others. But really, it's in the body, by the way, in 90, I think it's 94% of the choline in your body is in the form of phospholipid and you go, wait a minute, we hear so much about neurotransmitters. It's true, but neurotransmitters are infinitesimally smaller in terms of what is needed to make that work. Whereas if you think of phosphatidylcholine as the wrapping around all, all cells, period, all cells, you can say that. But if you think of, let's say, a red blood cell, what gives it the ability to fold into the squirm and to shoot through capillaries successfully? It's the phosphatidylcholine, but it's the other fats that are derived from that. So sphingomyelin is the other one. And it's also the uh, dominant fat in terms of the cell membranes for nerve cells. So anything that has to be fluid and squishy and slither by each other and be almost friction-free, if you will, 
then that comes down to choline and the phospholipids, the fats that it makes, so it can do all these things. So most of the source of the choline in your body is phosphatidylcholine. Okay, um, there's a big fork in the road here because kind of inherent of anything that I talk about and as a keto naturopath and it, people think, well, can I do this on a plant-based diet? It's like, you know, everything is harder on a plant-based diet. And I know that's sort of the, the political agenda to, with the fake meat that's coming out and all these other things. I think it's good for the environment. It is not good for the environment. And, and, and it's actually far inferior. Anybody who actually works in nutrition and does lab work and so on and so forth and does the research will certainly know that. Um, so back to choline. So choline is much more abundant in animal sources because it has to be around animal cells that are much more changeable. They're, they're not locked in a cell wall, which is the definition of a plant cell, right? Cell wall versus a fluid membrane. All right, we got that out of the way. So you have choline that goes for the phospholipids, coverings of all cells. You have choline that goes to the neurotransmitter acetylcholine. So think of muscle and think of brain very simply. So therefore, as you get older, how do people become deficient? Well, they will start showing signs of deficiency, which is cognitive. So they'll go through mild cognitive impairment. Then they'll go through early dementia, and they might even get as far as Alzheimer's. And so it goes as the brain and think of the brain as this big fat balloon, uh, more solid. So it's not so much a balloon, but as you are inefficient, in using your choline, and as you are deficient in having enough choline, your brain starts to kind of cannibalize itself. Kind of an oversimplistic way of looking at it, but when you look at the autopsies of, of um, the brains, and you see those who have died with Alzheimer's, they actually have a small, much smaller brain, and it's not like the brain got smaller, its gaps are missing. It has been sort of eaten out, if you will, from the inside out. So you have these big gaps. And if you've watched any of my videos, you'll see that I've certainly have shown those images of enough time, healthy brain versus demented Alzheimer's brain. And, and you've probably seen that yourself. So that's, think of that. You know, your, your body has a demand. And how are you going to supply that demand? If you are not supplying that demand, it will mine it and it has a hierarchy. You know, and so the brain goes, hey, we're at the top gun here. We need, we need to be, to get the oxygen. We need to have all the fats that are there. We are the top priority of your whole body. It's not your little finger. It's not your muscles. It's not your liver. It's going to be top priority. So consequently, if you're not getting enough, it's going to farm it from other sources and it even farms it from the brain itself. So that's why that happens if you look at it in that way. It's probably an overly simplistic way of looking at it, but what you're not supplying, your body will cannibalize itself to get what it needs. So the third part about choline, right? Talked about neurotransmitters, we'll call it membranes, phospholipids. The third part is when uh, choline comes into the body, it does get broken down from phosphatidylcholine and it gets choline's taken off. And part of the choline is immediately oxidized to a thing called betaine. Betaine is also called trimethylglycine. I don't care that you know that. I don't care that you think that I know that. <laughs> it just is. And it's a molecule that is pretty wonderful in its own right. So it came from choline, 
by just kind of one one step away. And that fits into this whole methylation, you know, the, the folic acid cycle, the methylation cycle. In the big picture, it is part of a big situation, a big network, which I've talked about a lot, methylation and your um, methylation clocks and defining how old you are and so on. It is all about turning cells on and off. So each cell needs to be turned off if it's no longer needed and turned on if it is needed. So cells that reproduce themselves, think of uh, your body organs, think of the skin on your body. It dies but it also has new cells coming in behind it. So those cells need to be turned on. All right then, uh, you don't need to have certain cancer cells turned on. You want those off in perpetuity, right? For the most part. Okay, so that's the third part. So you have these three areas that methylation is a big deal, turning cells on and off, and it is kind of has co-workers, and it is co-equal with folic acid and B12. So you have choline, you have choline kind of at its, its substitute is, is beta-ene, so it converts to beta-ene, and beta-ene is the active participant in the um, methylation. So you have, but I'm going to call it choline because that's where it came from. So you have choline, folate, and B12. These are the three that have to be there for you to be as young as possible, for you to be as functionally efficiently as possible with your methylation cycle. So as a little bit of a tangent, when people say, oh gee, my methylation age, I'm, I'm a lot older, or I'm technically younger. Not many people are much younger than their age on the methylation clocks and all these methylation clock tests. But what that's measuring is your methylation pattern. Are you turning things on and off correctly in the plus or minus a ratio of your age. So as you're younger, it's much more exact, a narrower band. And as you get older, that plus or minus gets a little bigger, but they can really narrow it down. And this huge catalog of all ages and all ethnicities, actually in all, most, um, they even have methylation clocks on a per organ basis as well. So they can measure your age, but what they're measuring when they say your age, they're measuring the healthiness, the efficiency, the accuracy of your methylation ability. So if you have a really accurate methylation ability, you will be as young as you possibly can for your age. Perhaps, you know, nobody gets to be 20 if they're really 60, but they might get down a few years below. But it's usually people are far older, far older because they don't have a very accurate, precise methylation uh, function. So with these experiments that have been done, if you give them methylating factors through whole food sources, so I just said B12, folate, and choline, where would you get some things like that? Well, if I was shooting for all three, I would do liver. Liver is amazing. If I just needed choline, it would be egg yolks. But basically, between egg yolks and liver, you have the I believe you have all the methylation factors. Certainly you have the three heavy guns that come in and need to be there. So when you do something like that at the person who is maybe 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 years older by methylation clock, you now are going to make them younger because in essence, they had deficiencies and they couldn't have a very efficient methylation cycle because they had some deep deficiencies. You solve their deficiencies by giving them a lot of nutrients and the big, the major ones that I just named. And so consequently, their methylation age is going to become younger. So what I'm saying is that actually is a 
that actually is a um, measure of going from nutrient deficiencies that had to do with methylation, which really has to do with your whole body, to, to filling in those deficiencies, your methylation clock, if you will, your methylation cycles got better, your ability to produce glutathione and all these other things that come out of your methylation cycle. So that's how they got younger. So younger in the methylation clock way of looking at it is really about taking care of the deficiencies that are common on a cultural basis, on an ethnicity basis, on a gender basis, uh, on an age basis, and you've brought them back into being healthier. So they're not going to be five when they were 55, or that hasn't happened yet. And so all these interventions uh, that are used for trying to make your methylation clocks younger, the idea of you're going to reverse your age, it really just comes down to how well are you methylating. That's really the same terminology. That's exactly what they're talking about. So anything that makes you methylate better, namely filling in the deficiencies you have, will make you younger, more efficient. So back to choline. Choline is really interesting, not just because what I've told you had three functions. Okay, that was the basis of my getting involved with this and really going deeper on it two, three, four months ago. But when you couple that with the idea that we all have a genome, we know about that, and we look for these things called SNPs, single nuclear polymorphism, which are just mutations that are off by one nucleotide, just one nucleotide, hence single nucleotide polymorphism. They're not long streams, they're not really complicated, they're not inborn errors of metabolism, they're just a SNP, a single nucleotide polymorphism. It's a mutation. And so these mutations that are off by just, call it one amino acid, but a nucleotide is similar but slightly different, off by one nucleotide, it's going to be a little bit altered in terms of that function. So if it's a mutation, and they're all about enzymes for the most part. It's an enzyme, it's a mutation for the gene of a certain enzyme. It can still work, but it can't work all that well. It's like putting different tires on the car that you have. It will work, but it's really not the tires you're supposed to have, and so there will be some compromises. It might be better, it probably will be worse, right? So it might be faster, it might, but for the most part, it will probably be slower. It happens either way. And there's a lot of these mutations, but there's only a few of them that are known to be problematic. And what we know has changed certainly over the last 20 years since I've gotten involved in trying to measure these and find out more about these. So it's just these special kinds of mutations we're looking for, SNPs. All right, so now we come down to, there are a number of SNPs, not a lot, and certain enzymes that make it more difficult for people to make their own choline. So you actually have a backup, just like you can't make your own oxygen, obviously, but you can make your own glucose. You don't always have to eat it, right? So you have fat cells and so on and so forth, and you have glycogen. So that allows portability, that allows survival uh, over areas so you can go away from home. You don't always have to be eating all the time. You're not like an insect, <laughs> right? Or whatever. So um, that obviously is a survival aspect, but it doesn't work in everybody. And it, truthfully, it's really only around women because when women in their fertility years, which is about um, 15, to 30, uh, 15 to 50, so that's about 35 years, when their estrogen goes way up, their evolution, or we've evolved, the, the woman, the female, females and human evolution evolved that 
their estrogen around that fertility period is going to make being able to make choline. So you make choline because that's what's used for the fetus that you're going to be making. That's especially for nerves and therefore brain development. But all the other things I've just told you about, those three same functions have to uh, exist in the fetus. And so the women are equipped with, they can make their own choline. Men can't do that. Men can't make their own choline or almost nothing at all because we have estrogen as well. We do have some of those uh, receptors, but we don't have that elevated level of estrogen. So it makes almost no difference at all. Okay, so now you have, that's how women are, women are special. That's how they have this like backup fertility nutrient, necessary backup system for their fertility nutrient requirements, right? And uh, it doesn't happen for everything, but it happens for a number of, so it's pretty neat. But if they have a mutation for this particular enzyme that does that, that says, oh, our estrogen's high, it recognizes estrogen and starts spinning and making more, kind of like Rumpelstiltskin, starts spinning and making more choline instead of gold out of straw. Um, that's really helpful. So women have a little bit of, with, with working, with these working enzymes, like no problems, they have a bit of a backup that men do not do. So if you were to go out hiking with women who were, in uh, between 15 and 50, producing a lot of estrogen, they could get on quite fine with not having any choline, where as men would start to be depleted, they would start to show mental incompetence, right? They'd be a little cognitively impaired. They would have uh, muscle and muscle, liver, and brain impairment because they're not getting the choline. So they really need to eat it. But these women who can make their own because they're in the high estrogen years, they're good. So that's an amazing difference. All right. So now enter into women that actually have these SNPs and it's a problem. And some women can't do this at all. So in other words, some women are just like men and yet they have this responsibility that they, or, or the probability that, that they will have a child. So if they have a child, what are they going to do? They can't ramp up their choline production. So they have to be dependent on what they take in choline-wise. They have to. They're 100% dependent on getting choline in their diet by eating it through the mouth. And the problem is most women don't know that if they need it or they don't need it. They have a much higher requirement. And if they do get pregnant and they do start growing a fetus, well, now there is a hierarchy. And that demand is fetus first. And that happens in a lot of things. You find that the women tend to get osteoporotic after pregnancy. Why is that? Because they were mined with the calcium, the minerals for the baby's bones were mined from the, and I'm using the word figuratively, mined from the woman's reservoir of minerals in her bones. So her bones are weaker after um, childbirth for a while. And she can replenish that if they have enough of that in their subsequent diet. So choline, as you come into, as this pregnant woman who can't make her own choline has a growing fetus, where's the choline going to come from? She obviously needs to eat it if she knows enough. If she doesn't know enough, and there's a lot of women that do not know that they need more, right? They are a non-choline producing woman. Well, if they're not producing choline and they don't have much of it in their diet, for the fetus, it's going to be extracted from the the mother. And so consequently, those times of 
pregnancy are a really hard time for these women because the choline is being extracted from the phosphatidylcholine in all of their body. So that means in all the membranes of all their cells, the phosphatidylcholine is being extracted from acetylcholine. That's the, so that's going to compromise their thinking. That's going to compromise their muscles are probably going to start to get muscle pain, muscle soreness. They're going to have muscle impairment. And then they'll probably even start, um, organ damage to the livers primarily of what they call fatty liver, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease will start. It was in essence, in essence accelerated because of the pregnancy, uh, the greater need of choline to go elsewhere out of the mom and into the baby. So that's a problem. Okay. So gosh, all of this now. So now you have this another for, for women specifically that through pregnancies that don't have they, they do have these SNP problems. They do have, and there's a number of SNPs we know that there's not a lot. It's not a long list. And um, it's a short list of four or five variations of these particular mutations that either don't work at all or work very poorly. And, and so therefore, these women need to be really acutely aware of whole food sources of choline. And that would be egg yolks. And that would be liver. Um, you could take phosphatidylcholine as well um, at your health food store, put that in your mayo or something, but you need it. However, you're going to get it, you need it and you need to act on it. Okay. So come menopause, all women are kind of equal, right? They know there's no more women that have high levels of estrogen, but this then begs the question, well, what about women and wanted to do hormone replacement therapy? And that was terrible in the late 90s. It's gotten better. And in Europe, they have what they call, and they have this in the United States now too, but it's out of pocket. It's called bioidentical hormones. They can make estrogen just like you made estrogen. Whereas the 90s, it was a thing called Premarin. And Premarin came from, that was pregnant mare's urine is what that was. And so that caused a lot of problems, especially if it wasn't paired with progesterone, progestin. Um, so anyway, that you, you now have this idea of, well, just keep giving women estrogen. And, and now we're speaking for the women that have these functional genes. They'll be all okay, right? They'll keep their estrogen up. They'll be making their own choline for those who can do that. For those who couldn't, they're still just going to have a problem if they're not taking in their own choline. But that's where hormone replacement therapy comes in. It goes, oh, wait a minute. It makes your bones stronger, estrogen does, supposedly. It makes your uh, mind sharper, Right. These are things that have been said. You know, this is, you know, give them. And um, without going into hormone replacement therapy too much, my view on it is maybe that's true and maybe that's not the complete picture. When I say it's not the complete picture, if you gave these women who had a decline in estrogen through menopause the appropriate amount of choline in their diet, it, Let's amp it up a little bit because actually those are pretty low standards, the pretty low levels. Now you give them the choline and choline is associated, choline deficiency is associated with osteoporosis. Well, now you just fix that. Choline deficiency is associated with dementia, Alzheimer's. Choline deficiency is associated with sarcopenia, that is muscle atrophy. And on and on it goes. So and you can amplify all these. And so therefore, um, all these related conditions have to do with choline. If you had something like myosinia gravis, which is really a receptor problem that it can't accept the acetylcholine from muscles, would having more choline help? I don't know. Uh, myosinia 
uh, myosinia gravis is an autoimmune condition. And so um, hard to know. I have to take that. There's not really enough research on that, but you have to treat the autoimmune part of that. So, okay, now we go back and go, well, where did all this choline deficiency come from? You know, what the heck, well, you know, suddenly, you know, even NHANES, which is NIH, um, has done this a number of times and they've assessed the United States population of their choline deficiency or not. And it's been consistent. <laughs> you know, there's the, the last one they did ended in, uh, was it 2016? That only 6% of the population was had an adequate level of choline. That's a, that, that means we're all choline deficient. So where did this come from? How, how did the population suddenly we're all choline deficient? Well, you could say, well, it's because they're all eat processed food. They haven't had real food for a while. I would say that's probably part of the answer, if not most of the answer. They're, they're eating crap. They're not eating food anymore. And also you can say that the food that used to be 100 years ago doesn't exist like it did. Take egg yolks, for example. Color egg yolks, probably from 100 years ago. I haven't found any color pictures from 100 years ago, so that would be tough. But the... Um, carotenoids, the thing that make the color of the, the yolk, the lut lutein and other carotenoids as well, are they're not there. Um, so they're yellow as opposed to being orange. As an aside, I had a mallard lay an egg in our front yard in an area where I was trying to dig a hole to put in a palm tree. And apparently mallards are known to do this. So it was kind of an inappropriate place. I never saw the mallard, but I saw the egg. And so I, it was already cracked, but it was freshly cracked, probably by me. And so I brought it into the kitchen and I opened it and I compared the color. It was dark orange as opposed to what now seems like a yellow, which we thought were moderately healthy egg yolks that we had been getting from the grocery store. So anyways, where did this choline deficiency start? Right? Did it, it, does it go back to evolution? We've all been choline deficient in this whole um, group of people that have this mutations for, for women and you figure the, the women who have this mutation, it's a problem for their kids because if mom's not getting the choline, they're not going to get the choline. Even if you start extracting it from the mother's body for the baby, they're still going to be uh, deficient. So they're going to have neurological issues. And that has to do with, it's really interesting, schizophrenia, bipolar, certainly depression. Uh, go into that in a second. So the deficiency for choline coincides exactly with the nutri nutritional guidelines created in the United States in the mid-70s. And the two, I've covered this before, the two studies that were done from the 60s to the early 70s, one in the Sydney Heart Diet Study, and then you had the Minnesota Coronary Heart Study. They were done in the late 60s, early 70s. They go, aha, you know, you need to have no more saturated fats. Stop the saturated fats. You know, add in polyunsaturated. And so they added in omega-6. They subtracted and made everybody afraid of saturated fats, which is what you get from animal foods, right? So the exact opposite. So it actually can be traced back to the 70s is when the deficiency started. So for the last 50 years, 1970s to 1920, the last 50 years, you've had, for the most part, a population the 95%, the 94% of the population that is deficient, they're deficient because they're following the nutritional guidelines. They're, they're phobic about eggs. I remember even through medical school, they're still trying to argue this about, well, there's so much cholesterol. Forget the cholesterol story. Look at all the nutrients that are in the eggs. Somebody forgot to tell the chickens and the hens and the ducks that 
there's too much cholesterol in the eggs. <laughs> you know, and they seemed to think it was appropriate for the egg or the chicken that they were going to be. So that's where it started. It co, you know, not only did we, uh, our cholesterol levels go way up, we're trying to start it. And that came from the Eisenhower years because he had four heart attacks uh, in office. So they said, well, cholesterol has got to be bad. And that was Ansel Keys and that whole story. I'm not going to go into it. But I'm saying coincided, coinciding with that, when people were trying to have less cholesterol, less saturated fat, that was exactly the category of food, certainly unprocessed, exactly the category of animal food products that would be the highest source of choline. So consequently, marching forward. All right, so now on to schizophrenia. Why schizophrenia? And schizophrenia, if you go with schizophrenia, choline deficiency, and not only that, if you go into PEMT, which is one of the um, SNPs, you'll find that it's associated with schizophrenia. The thing about schizophrenia is they do know that it there is a correlation of phospholipids deficiency. Remember I told you of those three functions of choline? One was the phosphatidylcholine, the sphingomyelin, and all the, that's all neurological in terms, and also add in your neurotransmitters. But think of the fat. So they knew that that existed, but the problem is it takes about, schizophrenia doesn't happen at childbirth, or maybe it does happen then, but it's not detected until one's late teens and early 20s. That's where you know, it's about a 20-year lag time. That's where you see the schizophrenia show up. So it, it's really hard to have cause and effect. You have to wait 20 years, and how are you going to tag somebody 20 years later? Um, so you look for more other contextual things. And uh, so that is the degrees that schizophrenia has gone up coincides. Um, you would also look at now, since we have better technology, you would look at... Uh, choline deficiency of newborns, which we we're hoping now it's getting less since we know more about choline, but the idea that there was choline deficiency of newborns, that was a condition that was created from the mom not having the cholesterol products, worried about saturated fats, not getting enough um, choline as a general population, then you add in the mutation problems on top of it. Those children of that mother would have a higher probability of being schizophrenic and bipolar and even what they call um, major depressive um, uh, MDD, uh, major depressive disorders. So if severe depression as a predisposition, as, a, as of who they are. And it really comes down to choline deficiency. Now we're talking about the generation before. So do you hear what I'm saying? As I'm hearing it saying, I'm definitely accusing the nutritional um, guidelines of the mid-70s. It's pretty easy to hit them up for being incorrect. But look at the problems that they've caused. And, and now there's a panic, uh, certainly in the United States, if not worldwide, about being choline deficient. In 2018, they actually even had a summit. They called it a choline summit to figure out what they're going to do. And without causing some sort of nutritional rebellion by saying, we screwed up 50 years ago, we got to change things. That would be the fastest and most efficient way to do it, but I don't think they're going to go that far. Okay, so till next time, be conscious of your choline and take care. Hi, this is Dr. Goldkamp again for a brief reminder 
of something I completely forget to do at the end of every episode. You've heard me talk long enough and many different episodes, but what I would love you to do, and many of you have already done this, I just want to reinforce this particular behavior, which is to send me your questions. Send me your questions and anything you have about keto. If there's something that I don't know, I will look it up. And if it's something that intrigues me, I will probably make an episode, uh, a podcast about that particular topic. So what you need to do is to send me your questions at drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. So that's D-R-G-O-L-D-K-A-M-P at K-E-T-O-N-A-T-U-R-O. P-A-T-H.com, Dr. Goldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Feel free to join our Facebook group, which is also ketonaturopath.com. That's been growing lately. You also have to answer a questionnaire should you choose to join. And I don't ask for your email. I ask that you follow our terms. I try to avoid uh, advertising and uh, the obvious interruptions of just a good Facebook group. So hope to see you at one place or other. Please send me your questions and uh, look forward to talking to you and getting to know you. Take care.